So I love coffee. Don't get me wrong. But let's talk about like what it actually does to the brain. So you have, when you wake up in the morning, um, as you carry out your mental and physical tasks throughout the day, your body is producing adenosine. And so you have two different receptors. The brain is just incredible, let alone the whole human body. But you have two different receptors that take in the adenosine. And simultaneously, they're working on two different parts of your brain, your wakefulness side and then your side that makes you more sleepy. So it's turning down the wakefulness side and turning up the sleepiness side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saving, and I've got a jam-packed crew with me in the studio today. Ignition co-founders Dylan Johnson and Drew Dillman, as well as Ignition coaches Caitlin Maddox and Cade Bickmore, join me. The topic for this week is caffeine and how it affects your performance. This topic was sparked by a listener question, so please keep those coming. Send any questions you have to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a direct message. Last but not least, don't forget to pick up your Flow Formulas products. Head over to flowformulas.com and use the coupon code IgnitionPodcast to get yourself some endurance sports-specific nutrition products like high-carb drink mixes, both caffeinated and decaf, hydration mixes, recovery powders, and more, all optimized for your specific endurance needs. Again, that's coupon code IgnitionPodcast, one word, all lowercase, for 10% off your next order. All right, let's get into it. Have you guys ever heard of give someone the hairy eyeball? <laughs> no. I swear that's in here. What it says that? to stare at someone in a disapproving or angry way. I feel like that's the way that Dylan is always looking at me. Uh, He's Dylan always was just get... talking about that with the uh, altercations with gravel riders and cars. Yeah. Dylan's give, always giving me the hairy eyeball. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, today we're not going to talk about hairy eyeballs. We're going to talk about caffeine. <laughs> Um, yeah, topic is, you know, caffeine, using it in training, racing, outside of training, how does it affect you? And, you know, where does that lead to performance gains? Um, first, does anyone have any recent, like, racing updates you want to talk about? Me and Kate did the same race this weekend. We did, for the first time since, like, June. Yep. Yeah like two months without racing with the team so it was good to good to be back racing with the full squad um in indy we got we got fredder in the break the first day um and he ended up 10th and then which is not our ideal situation we don't want our like our slowest guy in the break and i think fredder would be the first to admit that he's not our strongest rider so that's not the situation you want. Like you always want a rider in the break, but ideally not your slowest. So it was like, well, yeah. what do we do here? And uh, before we knew it was, it was too far away that we couldn't do anything about it. And they ended up lapping up. Yeah. Um, I did win a thousand dollar preem, which was pretty nice. And then also Fergus won a $500 preem. So yeah, on that side of things, it wasn't too bad. It's pretty sweet when you like you throw down an attack and it just so happens that as you're attacking, they say $1,000 premium to the next lap. And it's like a one-minute lap. So all Cade had to do was like keep the gap. 
and he did yeah. and it was like money yeah the only guy chasing me down was Corey williams mm. so uh i was pretty didn't get there I did he for, huh no i i didn't let him there. i let him get up there uh afterwards and then we took a couple we took a couple turns together to try and like see if we could make any ground on the break but we were not making up ground i mean it was like a 10 man pretty stacked break so i wasn't wait so you so you won a preem even though there was a break up the road it was a it was yeah it was just a field preem oh i didn't know those existed yeah yeah sometimes they'll throw them in to like try to screw up the breakaway that's what they were doing. They were like, oh, let's let's throw out this $1,000 preem right now so that it'll excite the group and maybe they'll chase down the chase breakaway. The, chase the break. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get you'll get people in the audience like give money for preems right in the middle of the race just to like make it more exciting. Like I know last year at Tulsa, the uh, some of the guys that sponsor Roadhouse did that. Like right in the middle of one of the crits, they were like, all right, we got a thousand bucks and here's what we want to do. And they laid down like two or like, I think it was like a handful of preens in the middle of the race just to make it more exciting. Sounds like crit racing could be the next like horse racing. Well, I mean, they're basically like giving their money up. It's like they're sponsoring the race, kind of. But I guess they're not betting but, on the betting on the yeah, riders. Yeah, there's but. no like return on investment except for that it makes the race more exciting. Well, you know, in Japan, uh, Kirin, mm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, is like horse racing. Like they bet oh, on track racing. Yeah, have you ever seen Behind Japanese track racing? Yeah, yeah, yep. It's exactly like horse racing. Like they're yeah. all wearing a different color. And then you bet on which one you think is going to win. That's I didn't cool. know that's how it worked. I'd, I'd seen it before, but I didn't know that they were betting on it too. Japanese mm. Kieran is pretty wild too, because the riders like aren't allowed to communicate during Kieran season. So like, they're like basically like shuttled back to their like room and they're just like locked up in their dorm. And they're like, not supposed to have like communication with outside world world. So they can't like rig the races at all because there's so much money that goes into the betting scene there that like they are, they just like isolate the rider. So the riders have to like sign up to just be in isolation for, you know, I, I don't know what their period is exactly. Um, and I'm sure that some of them are like doing more of a full season where they're isolated for three months, but some of them are only for maybe a week or something before an event. But that's pretty crazy. If you got on this podcast thinking you're about to learn about caffeine, you just <laughs> and you just learned about Japanese Kieran racing, you're welcome. You know what else is kind of cool about Japanese Kieran racing is they completely take out any technological advantage, which is obviously a huge part of track racing with the aerodynamics and and everything. Um, they're all on like a standardized bike, which is basically like an old school steel frame track bike and they're all wearing the same kit so like there's no like trying to get more arrow than your competitors everybody's just in the same like has the same bike same kit same equipment it's just all about the rider wow so the bike isn't fit to them or can you like no it's fit your no bike? it's fit to them but like they're they have standardized uh standardized bikes and you can't get a a non-standardized bike. And basically, the standardized bike is like an old-school steel track bike. I can get down with that. That's cool. Wow. 
Sweet. Uh, where were we going? More, I thought we you were guys about were talking to... about career racing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And then so day two was a lot better. Um, I felt a lot better personally. I just felt like I was at the front a lot more, covering moves a lot more, um, and our results were a lot better. Cade was seventh. I was 10th and we had a teammate get 12th. So we're all like right there in the mix of like all the top crit racers in the country. We just lack somebody who has that like super high end finishing sprint. Uh, or it's either we lack the power or the positioning. Cause I think I could have done a lot better had I been in a, had I, I don't know, done a few things different, like on the last lap. Yeah, but sweet. Caitlin, Dylan, you guys race at all? Unfortunately, no. And if you live on the East Coast and ride dirt, you might have heard the devastating news that Shenandoah Mountain 100 this year was canceled. So nothing for me this weekend. Pretty bummed. Um. Yeah, I usually attend Shenandoah every year. I actually wasn't planning to attend this year so i'm i'm kind of heartbroken that perhaps shenandoah might be canceled for other forever because i would hate for that to happen but if there was any year that i wasn't going to get do shenandoah i guess this would be the year because they're not even having it anyway um i did race gravel this weekend it was just a local gravel race um and it took the win Sweet. Hey, Dylan. So one thing I was going to ask you about, so like on the topic of local racing, um, this came up in a conversation I was having with one of my athletes recently, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about local racing, how they fit into the calendar. Um, you know, typically for athletes who do like a, you know, any kind of national calendar or, you know, travel races, their local races tend to be more like lower priority. So, you know, we'd call them like C events. Um, for you though, I mean, do you, do you reserve yourself a little bit in local races so as not to like completely blow yourself up, um, and like save some of those efforts for bigger events or do you still kind of put out the same effort? Maybe just come in with a little bit different preparation beforehand. And this goes for anyone, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I've ever, even if it's a C race, I don't know if I've ever, not put in a hundred percent to the race. Um, it's hard for me to do that. I could have easily done it this weekend and still won. Um, and there's plenty of local races where I could have easily do like 90% and still win the race. Um, flex. (laughs) (laughs) What about you guys? (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, a lower priority race i'm never not trying to do my best at it's just the the preparation is not the same like usually i'll just treat it as a training day basically and so um usually especially if it's a crit or something a sea level crit for me i'll treat it as like a vo2 day and just plan it into my training accordingly and so i just won't come in that fresh like I might've done a workout the day before, which I wouldn't do before an a race. Um, but I'm, I'm still trying to win the race. I'm still trying to get a hard workout out of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. For me, I just haven't raced enough 
so I'm looking at every race as an opportunity to gain experience. And I guess there's one opportunity um, before Marathon Mount Bagnats, um, which is like the end of October, the week before there's kind of like a local race in Carbon's Cove uh, in Roanoke, which is a really fun event. But um, that's, I don't know. You can, I mean, there's an XC and there's a double XC. So I wouldn't do the double XC. I would probably do the XC and not. Double XC being like just marathon? Marathon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Being the week before. Yeah. So When I'm racing, I always like, even if I'm in the front, I always imagine like, well, if this was a UCI cross race, there'd probably be guys ahead of me and I'd be going a lot harder. So I like, I imagine that like Jay Powell's in first place or somebody's in first place and I'm chasing them down or something like that. Or I'm in the group with Curtis white and like, I'm not going to get to go hard. And I mean, I'm not going to get to go easy in that situation. So even in this training race, I should probably like use it to push myself. That's what I think as like a mental, I don't know. That's just always something that I've thought about when I'm in a little local race is like, well, if the real guys were here, it'd be game on. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think like what I was talking about with this athlete in particular, um, was like, you know, say, say for a cross season, you know, and you're doing 30 races, like to completely turn yourself inside out 30 times over the course of three months, it can be really challenging, especially as the, the later you get in the season. So like some of those earlier season races, like maybe try and challenge yourself in a little bit different way. So like some tips I was giving him was like, you know, practice pitting. If you don't need to pit, still good to practice it, you know, so bring your B bike practice, you know, bike exchange. And maybe that's like a handicap that makes you have to work a little bit harder during the race, but kind of, you know, makes the race a little bit more challenging. Um, this is like assuming, you could win the race pretty handedly if you're like smashing it. Right. Um, you know, or like maybe instead of running your dries for tread, you run like a mix or a wet, you know, kind of get used to riding in some different treads on some different conditions. Um, and using the training races more as like practice in that way, um, versus like just going in and like having everything super optimized and turning yourself inside out. And, you know, I'd rather see an athlete save that for the bigger key events. Cause like to do that 29 times and then expect to be able to do that at nationals can be, you know, sometimes problematic. So that was kind of the, the approach that I was coming at it from with him, you know, and talking about that. Um, and that's kind of like, like what I'll do sometimes too, is like, I'll almost similar to Cade, what you were talking about, like, you know, treating it more as like a, a workout, so like if it's a 45 minute local race, you know, maybe instead of turning myself inside out for 45 minutes, I'll break it up into like, you know, some attacks and, um, maybe some like structure within the race. So we're like, I'm putting out max efforts at times, but I don't like get done. So gas where I like fall off my bike or something like that, you know, and try and save yeah. that for, for like actual bigger races. I think Steven Seiler would agree with that. I had a conversation with Steven Seiler. You can go watch it on my YouTube channel, but he was saying we didn't talk about training races, but essentially the question that I asked him was, uh, should you go a hundred percent, turn yourself inside out on a training day? 
like if you've got an interval session or something. His answer was, no, you should feel like you've got a little bit left in the tank. You you should go really hard, and it should feel hard, uh, and it should be hard to complete a hard workout, but you shouldn't go until you're, like, literally falling off the bike, like some people do. I remember watching that and thinking, like, but how do you know you have that extra gear if you haven't been training it? Like, how do you know you have that push in you if you haven't mm-hmm. used it in training? Uh, I think yeah. it's like like you have to envision you had like someone else there with you. So like like the old trick in the gym is like you know okay you know let's do three sets of ten and then on the third set when they get to ten the coach yells like all right one more you know and then one more and then all right give me one more you know and they're going to exhaustion. When you finish your let's say you know four by four VO two max interval, if your coach yelled at you like hey let's do one more you should be able to do one more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or if your coach during the last interval said, go one more minute, like you should be able to do one more minute. And like that might push you to exhaustion. Like you might be falling off your bike at that point, but hopefully you're not falling off your bike at the four minute point, you know, of the last interval. I, I um, think, I think this advice really only applies to people that are able to completely destroy themselves in training, which is actually not a lot of people. Most people, if they've got a VO2 max interval session, you know, they're not going to feel like if they've got, you know, four by four minutes, uh, they're not going to feel like doing a fifth one, even if they could do a fifth one, you know? Those, those, those four, those four efforts were already really hard. And they're like, I'm glad I'm done with that. You know what I mean? But there's, there, there are select few people that are like, I will push myself until I die. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> In case you guys weren't listening, that was another Dylan flex saying I do eight by four minute VO twos. Wow. <laughs> Average humans only do say that? four by four. <laughs> dude, I, didn't I just say translated. That. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I know dude, what you mean. Dude, I don't think I sent this to you, but I, I sent it to Adam and Scott. I posted about how I did the Southeast gravel race and I didn't even have a long caption about how I won or like how it was like an amazing victory or anything. I literally, it literally just said Southeast gravel race and then had a little emoji with the one medal. And then there was like a podium pick. And then the rest of the Strava caption was like talking about my training, uh, that week. Cause it was like a block week. And there were like three comments. Like, I can't believe you beat up on a bunch of juniors or something because like both, the, the dude who got second and the dude who got third, like one of them is 18 and one of them is 20 or something. And they look real young in the picture. I'm like, dude, I can only beat the competition that shows up. And also I'm not making a big deal about how I won a local race. I'm just like posting about it on Strava. I post every ride on Strava. <laughs> this is why you should delete Strava. There's one less thing to stress about. <laughs> All right. you guys just shook your head like that's unbelievable advice. I don't I don't do Strava. Is that Do you actually of? not post anything on Strava? I deleted it. It's not on my phone. I don't even like wow. don't, I never look at it. It's Dude, not you know, even on you my could phone. Probably your rides get might some, maybe, just because you, you deleted some your clients phone, if you No, like, I unconnected it and everything because I don't want people okay. messaging me. If if I ever so this is what if it if it affects the way that I train if Strava affects the way that I train, I don't want that influence, and so I deleted it. 
Sure. There were days You'll when I'm like too busy. I was like, I was thinking about Strava and I'm like, why am I thinking about Strava? Who gives a rip about Strava? I care about winning UCI cyclocross races. So I deleted it. Mm-hmm. You'll come back. They always come back. Nah. I deleted mine and then came back with an alias. I never like was really into it to begin with. Um, I don't think I'll ever do it again, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really go after KOMs or anything. The thing just, that about the one thing that gets me excited about Strava is when I do a gnarly run, and all the cyclists are like, "Whoa, you ran twenty miles!" And I'm like, "That's right. That's a that's another kind of hurt y'all don't know about." <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get into our topic here. Good idea. <laughs> so caffeine. Um, I know mm. Dylan, you're coming in with bring in some science. Caitlin's been doing some research. Cade's been experimenting a bunch with his caffeine intake. Um, sounds like Drew and I are just pretty neutral on caffeine. So no, I just have a bunch of questions. I think, yeah. I think I'm like the sit in listener speaker. Cause I have more questions than I do answers. So I'm like pumped. Mm. All right. All right. Can I kick us off? Yeah. I'm it. excited. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Caitlin's like <laughs> biting at the chop. <laughs> That's not the so, right chomping that's not, at the bit. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Fighting at the chomp. Make up, I make up my own idioms. <laughs> so caffeine, let's call it what it is. It's a drug. It's a psychoactive stimulant. Now, before you shoot the messenger, I literally have like five ways to make a coffee behind me, like the AeroPress, the espresso maker. So I love coffee. Don't get me wrong. But Let's talk about like what it actually does to the brain. So you have, when you wake up in the morning, um, as you carry out your mental and physical tasks throughout the day, your body is producing adenosine. And so you have two different receptors. The brain is just incredible, let alone the whole human body. But you have two different receptors that take in the adenosine. And simultaneously, they're working on two different parts of your brain, your wakefulness side, and then your side that makes you more sleepy. So it's turning down the wakefulness side and turning up the sleepiness side. And when you intake caffeine, it jumps in their spot and is like, hey, it doesn't matter how long you've been awake. You're not tired. You know, you're not going to be tired. But all that adenosine is still free floating in the brain and you're still building more of it. So let's look at the half-life of caffeine, which is like, Five to six hours, depending on certain factors like genetics, but um, not subjective factors like your caffeine tolerance, because we all know those two different types of people that are like, I can have two cups of coffee and I'm like bouncing off the walls or the people that are like, you know, I make a fresh pot of coffee after dinner and it doesn't affect me whatsoever, but we'll get to that. Um, so neuroscientist Dr. Matt Walker talks about... Um, the quarter life being anywhere from like 10 to 12 hours of um, life. So that's like having a cup of coffee at noon. And then when you go to bed, like around midnight, taking like a quarter of a cup of coffee and expecting to have a good night's sleep. Well, that's just not possible. That's not going to happen. Um, so <laughs> you have... Um, there's a study that's been done, like 90% of adult Americans are consuming caffeinated beverages daily. And with some of these studies that try and look at your subsequent 
quality of sleep um, before ingesting caffeine. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, like fatigue or the caffeine, because that is the coffee cycle. People that feel tired consume caffeine and chances are it's having, it's hindering the following night's sleep. Um, so I don't know if I just wanted to get that out there and then we can talk. I don't know, Dylan, if you want to jump in with some performance side of things. Well, I mean, I think that you brought up a great point here, which is that most, most people in general are addicted to caffeine and it's, it, it can actually get you into a pretty nasty cycle of, you know, you need, you get a bad night's sleep because you had too much coffee. And then because you had a bad night's sleep, you need caffeine to wake you up. And then that caffeine ends up, uh, keeping you up the following night. And it's like, you know, it's just this circle of, of, uh, never being able to sleep properly. So <laughs> if you, I've heard that if you don't drink coffee after like 4 PM, then you're good. Cause it's like a six hour or was I just not paying attention just now? <laughs> <laughs> I thought like, as long as you cut off your coffee or your caffeine intake, that's just what I was, I, I'm like usually done drinking coffee by like 2 PM. Yeah, no so I think the, I think the half life is like six hours, but then like Caitlin was just talking about, the quarter life is more like ten hours. So that means like, mm. how long does it take for seventy five percent of the caffeine to um, to rid your from your system? So she was equating it's like if you drink a cup of coffee at noon, mm. that's equivalent to drinking a quarter cup of coffee at ten p.m. like right before bed. Okay, in a cup of coffee, Caitlin is usually somewhere in the 150 to 200 milligram. 200. 200, yeah. depending on the size of the coffee. I thought it was like 120. Dang. That's a lot uh, of caffeine. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's more than that. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, that was a good kickoff. Um, here, Kate, what, what were you going to say? So what I'm interested in is um, how tolerance to caffeine has an effect on that because I, I don't know about for somebody who regularly drinks caffeine, but for somebody who doesn't regularly drink caffeine, having a half a cup of coffee right before bed is I think going to mess up their sleep a lot more than somebody who regularly drinks caffeine has somewhat of a tolerance buildup and then drinks that half cup of coffee right before bed or has the coffee at 4 PM. Um, Sure. Like the the effect I think is different there, which is going to be due to your tolerance to caffeine. But I don't know that much about that. Well, I did read a study and the year and person are escaping me who conducted the study, but it showed that acute uh, caffeine use affects the effects were the same on people that claimed that they were heavy users and people that claimed that, they weren't heavy caffeine users. And I think that goes to show like the person that says, Oh, I can have a pot of coffee before bed and wouldn't be affected at all. I think they just don't know that they're being affected, that their deep sleep is actually being disturbed and they wake up and they're groggy. And what do they do? They reach for the caffeine. And I didn't mention that while all this extra adenosine is building in your brain and those receptors, um, the caffeine is binding to those receptors eventually that caffeine is going to go away and then you have this buildup of adenosine and that is the caffeine crash. Mm. So maybe these people 
who have like a late afternoon coffee, they're timing it right so that they crash around bedtime. And they're like, oh, see, I sleep fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. So you're saying maybe they can fall asleep normally, but it's mm-hmm. still affecting their deep sleep, even if they don't know it. Yeah, potentially like their deep sleep or their total sleep time. Well, I have a feeling that the idiom ignorance is bliss is going to end up being like very strong in my future after this podcast. Cause now I'm going to be like so paranoid to drink a cup of coffee. Are you a coffee drinker, Drew? Yeah, I like coffee. I usually have it like every morning. Yeah. Probably like no more than like two cups a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So coffee is, or, uh, caffeine is a topic that I've made two videos on at this point. I've probably touched on it in more than two videos because uh, it's a pretty popular topic among cyclists. It seems like caffeine use and cycling go hand in hand, right? Like it's a culture. Yeah, I know. Sure. I, so I worked at CTS and I'm not a coffee drinker. And I remember I was, you know, in the office like really early on and they were like, Hey Dylan, can I make you like you want a cup of coffee? And I'm like, I don't drink coffee. And they acted like I just killed a puppy. <laughs> like they were shocked that I didn't drink coffee. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's totally a cultural thing. Although I do not partake. <laughs> um, so I think like the first question that we should get into is does caffeine have an effect on cycling performance. And this has been well researched at this point. And there are a lot of topics like this is kind of goes along the same lines of like weight training and cycling performance. There are a lot of topics that the research is pretty mixed, but I would say that uh, the research is pretty definitive on this question of whether or not caffeine improves cycling performance or really sports performance in general. And the answer to that is that yes, it does improve cycling performance. So they, you know, they've done studies on short efforts. They've done studies on long efforts and it's pretty easy to do. You give people caffeine pills and then you give the other group a placebo, you know, with no caffeine, you see how they do relative to how they do when both groups don't have caffeine. The group that got caffeine did better. Pretty simple test that they've done many times and they have shown that caffeine does improve cycling performance. However, there's caveats there. Uh, there's a lot of them. So let's talk about the first one, which is that there is a genetic component to caffeine. Um, some Most people are fast metabolizers of caffeine. However, some people are slow metabolizers of caffeine. So when you take a, when you take a group of people and you just see on average how caffeine affected their cycling performance, you're going to see that it improved the cycling performance of the group on average. However, and they've done this in the research, if you then take a look at whether or not they are fast metabolizers or slow metabolizers, like you break it down, you're going to find that the fast metabolizers increase their performance with caffeine. However, the slow metabolizers, and you can either be like there, there's two genotypes here. One is, one is actually slower than the other. So the people in the middle, uh, the caffeine might not have any effect on their cycling performance. And then there are actually people that metabolize caffeine so slowly that the caffeine might actually have a negative impact on their performance. 
Now, this is not most people. Uh, this is a minority of people, but it's there is still a possibility that you could be a person that taking caffeine is actually detrimental to your performance. It's not just neutral. It's not positive. Um, and you can figure this out by taking like one of these, uh, you know, genetics tests. Um, most of them have, have caffeine on there because so many people are curious about caffeine. Um, and Dylan, do you know what's going on there where if, if you're a really slow, uh, caffeine metabolizer, um, that it does, like, why does it hinder performance? What, what, what mechanism is, is causing that? Yeah, to be honest, I, I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the mechanism is. Okay. Um, that's hindering performance. I, all I, all I know is that this is a, this is a small proportion of the population. This isn't most people. This isn't even a large proportion of people. So most likely most people are going to take caffeine and it's going to improve their performance, which is why when all these studies look at the performance change of a large group on average, the performance goes up because most people in that large group are fast metabolizers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dylan, do you know if you can determine or, um, figure out if you are a fast metabolizer or, or maybe just not a super slow metabolizer just by your response to caffeine. Like I know when I have a cup of coffee, especially if I haven't had one in a couple of days, like 20 minutes later I am buzzing, which I think would suggest that I am a pretty fast metabolizer of it. But I don't know if that's actually definitive or not. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, that probably means you're a fast metabolizer. If you can actually feel now there's a placebo effect with everything, right? So you have to take that into account. But if you're a person that can feel the effects of the caffeine and you're like, I take caffeine and I feel much more awake, then you're probably a fast metabolizer. Uh, if you feel like caffeine has no effect on you, or if you even take caffeine and you feel, you know, you feel worse, uh, you could be one of these people that's a slow metabolizer of caffeine. Um, Are there different sources of caffeine? Like we're all, I think we're all thinking coffee. Sure. Um, are there, are there like better sources to get your caffeine from besides a coffee bean? Yeah, I was, I was going to get into whether or not coffee is a good source. So obviously, uh, uh, like gels and drink mixes have coffee, have caffeine, but like that caffeine might not necessarily be from a coffee bean. It might be from somewhere else. Right. Um, so yeah, there are different sources. And then the question becomes, because coffee is everyone's favorite source of caffeine. I was going to get to this at the end, but we might as well just talk about it now since you brought it up. Um, is coffee a good source of caffeine or not? Um, like is uh if you drink coffee before doing a race are you going to get the same effect as if you had just had that caffeine in gels or whatever um so they've done research on this where they've had people take take caffeine through drinking coffee and then they've had people take caffeine through just a caffeine pill and what they've found is that it doesn't really seem to make a difference whether the caffeine was from coffee or a caffeine pill um Caffeine might have a slight dehydrating effect, but it's it's pretty insignificant. Um, you can so, literally just have 
like a white powder that's caffeine. Like you can just, yeah, I mean, I've got this monster energy drink and sometimes (laughs) I'll drink these before crit it's monster hydro. Mm -hmm. I used to be sponsored by them. So they kind of got me hooked and it literally just says in the ingredients list caffeine. But like a lot of times you'll see like caffeine from natural sources or something goofy like that. Like, um, So if you're if you're about to quiz me on how they derive caffeine, I don't know the answer for you. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm trying to get at. Is like, where's caff? Where's this stuff come from? Like, can I just order a bag of caffeine on Amazon and like, yeah, snort sorry, it? Like, sorry, like, man, I, I didn't I didn't prepare <laughs> that deep. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Yeah, how, I, mean, I don't I mean, know how they derive caffeine and then put it into things that you consume. Okay. Yeah, I know that like part of the um like euro cyclocross scene um they'll they'll all they're all doing nodos on the line so like they're they're taking caffeine pills like on the starting line nodos yeah like they're just caffeine pills okay what's um, nodo what's a nodo no, no dose like dozing off to sleep so it's like oh no, no dose yeah but gotcha. then, yeah, no dose is the um the brand name but a, a lot okay. of them are like caffeine pills on the start line for for a one hour effort. Nice, okay. Versus having it like a product, like you know, in your drink mix or in your gel or something like that. All right. Well, now we're probably going into like what everybody's wondering is like, so how the heck do we do it? Like, do we do we do we down a pill on the start line? Do we should we take <laughs> ten pill? Should we, should we take ten pills throughout the day? Should I take a caffeine pill in the middle of the race? Like. That's what that's like probably my biggest question coming into it is how how do yeah. I how do there's, I use it There's actually to, there's actually research on that too whether uh taking caffeine before a race or during a race is more effective Interestingly like they've had they had people take the you know I don't know two, let's say 200 milligrams of caffeine before doing you know their their effort uh, in the lab, or they had people take the same amount of caffeine, but spread out throughout that effort every 20 minutes. Right. So they're getting the caffeine in smaller doses spread out throughout the effort, as opposed to one big dose of the, before they start, they found that there was no difference between either mm. one of those, either, either one of those wow. strategies. Okay. Now I, so like, Go ahead. Now I will say that I this is not something that's necessarily supported in the research, but if I'm doing a very long race that's going to take, you know, 7 to 10 hours, like we're talking about a 100-mile mountain bike race, 150-mile gravel race, you know, 200-mile gravel race type thing. Um if I if I'm taking caf- if I'm just taking a massive amount of caffeine in the morning, then that caffeine will be mostly worn off by the time I get to the finish line. So you do have to take that into account. Like this study is not taking into account races that take almost the entire day to complete, right? So in that case, you'd probably be better spacing it out. So an athlete that's doing a seven to 10 hour race who grabs a bunch of gels for their event and also buys like a handful of caffeinated gels and says, I'll just use these sparingly. Does it matter whether they use them, you know, incrementally or they save them all towards the end of the race? 
I think that saving them to, well, it depends on the race. Like if there's going to be a hard start, I would say you should probably have a little bit at the start. But for most people who their issue is actually pacing correctly, <laughs> like they're going too hard at the start, the the time of the race that you really need the caffeine to improve your performance is towards the end. If anything, you should be going less hard at the beginning of the race. At least most people should. Like the the number of people that screw up their pacing in a 7 to 10 hour race is like 98% of racers, if not more. <laughs> That was, so, another, that was another Dylan flex saying. It's not oh, yeah. a flex, dude. I'm, I one, of the, I'm, one, of, I'm one of the two percent people that that never paces dude, wrong. Dude, you need to watch my Leadville video. I completely screwed it up at Leadville. Okay, I did. Um, I watched. I watched the last twenty seconds to make to make sure that you mentioned the mission. <laughs> That's all I watched. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll go back and watch the rest of it. Uh, all right, but dude, you I totally know, screwed up my watch time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know Cade did like specific research on this part of caffeine. So I'm curious to hear what he has to say about like how you plan your caffeine intake. Yeah. So um, this week for Mass Ave Crit at Momentum Indie, I um, tried a new strategy. I Just to preface this, like, this is how this is how awesome this was. And this is the whole reason Cade's on the podcast. We're like rolling around right before they grid us to go to the start line. And he is just like bouncing off the walls. He's like, I'm going to attack off the line. Like he's just like shaking. And I'm like, dude, are you okay? He's like, I'm at like 350 milligrams of caffeine. And I'm like, what the heck? And so that's why we have Kate on the podcast. Cause I was like, I got it. Well, he's got to explain this. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different things that I applied to the race on Saturday. Um, one of those was taking a break from caffeine. I cut myself off completely for five days. So, um, I definitely am a person with a little bit of a caffeine dependence. So Monday and Tuesday of last week were a little bit rough for me, just making it through. Um, and the whole thinking behind that is that so that after five days of caffeine fasting, you now, you now your body's going to have an even stronger reaction to the caffeine during the race. Isn't yeah. that the basic? Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that is, um, I think Caitlin would like, based on the adenosine thing that Caitlin was talking about, um, you're probably rebalanced. You're kicking out all the caffeine, which to completely rid yourself of it because of the way that the half-life works is probably close to two days, especially if I've been having, uh, I don't know, 200 to 300 milligrams a day consistently. Um, and then, you know, you're rebalancing that part of your brain, uh, which for certain people is going to take different amounts of time. So what I was reading is that it was probably three to seven days to um, kind of completely rebalance. Um, and then on Saturday, it was the first time I'd had caffeine since the Sunday before. And I had 370 milligrams of caffeine. Um, I was targeting about 350 because I'd read that uh, about five milligrams per kilogram of body mass is the ideal amount to see a performance benefit. And the study that I read on that, I'm not completely convinced that that is the ideal amount because 
it, it seemed like they didn't play around with a lot of specific numbers. Like they, it didn't seem like they tested for three milligrams per kilogram or like seven milligrams per per kilogram. And I don't know, you know, maybe there's a a more ideal um, amount there, but I was testing it out at about five milligrams per kilogram for me, uh, which came out to about 350 milligrams. So I had four 75 milligram gels and two bottles of hydration mix with 35 milligrams each. Um, I had three of those gels like in my warm up, one of them on the start line. I had one of the bottles in my warm up and then one of them during the race. Um, and like Drew said, I was absolutely buzzing in the warm up, like before I'd even had, like just after two gels. And then on the start line, I was legitimately like twitching in a way that I've like. <laughs> never felt before but you could see the muscles on my leg like contracting a little bit um that's awesome and you're about to go like super sand you know like (laughs) isn't that what that's what that is i don't even watch that but i know what that is that's yeah we were about to see super sand cade on the dragon ball z or something yeah all of the all of the like whatever you call those things nerds that <laughs> I don't even know. What do you call that? Is it like a anime anime nerds? They all mm-hmm. just got real excited with that reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, with, with the way that mass ops courses, there's two 135 degree corners and then one 90 degree corner. It's a right triangle. Um, and I knew it was going to be pretty aggressive from the start. I knew I wanted to be up front the whole time. And I like kind of just wanted to get ahead of the race and start the attacks early. I didn't necessarily plan to attack as much as I did in the first 15 minutes of the race. I will say that the caffeine got the better of me a little bit. <laughs> I got too excited. Um, and I did spend like maybe seven or eight minutes off the front in kind of the first 15 minutes. And I think that's part of why I missed the break. Um, because it kind of went as a counter to one of my moves. And so I will say that that may have been detrimental to my race. However, I felt amazing the whole race. Um, physically, I, uh, yeah, I, I just felt like I was riding really strong, but I did mess up my tactics a little bit. Uh, and so I think that's a big thing with caffeine is, um, knowing how to handle it, not like, because it is a psychoactive substance, it does get you excited. Like being able to control yourself is going to be really important for utilizing the performance benefit of the caffeine. And so this is something that I've talked about with some of my athletes who are looking to play around, especially one of them who's never really drank a lot of caffeine at all. Like maybe a couple of cups of coffee in his life. Um, and he was asking me if he should use caffeine for this race. And I, I told him no, because I don't think he was like, there's the oh, caffeine makes a lot of people anxious. And, um, if you aren't ready for the higher heart rate that comes with it and just the more like you're just in an alert, a little bit anxious, state and then couple that with your increased heart rate and everything it's easy to overthink a lot of things it's easy to get too excited and so i think there is 
a part of training yourself to handle that much caffeine um, to really utilize the performance benefit. I just had like a proud, I'm going to say proud dad moment because I don't know what else to call it. But like what Cade is explaining is like spot on. Because when we, when we train our ignition coaches, we explain to them the biopsychosocial perspective, which is a lot of times in cycling and on Dylan's YouTube channel, all we look at is the biological of like, does this make you faster? But when you're coaching somebody, you're thinking about an athlete, you have to take in consideration like the whole perspective of the athlete. So like what Kay just explained was like, yeah, it could have biological improvements. Like you might actually go better. But if you if you consider the whole picture of an athlete, like, but come, you know, with those performance gains come anxiety and stress and like something new that you've never done on race day, like all of the things that need to be considered. So I thought, I don't know. I was, I was pretty stoked. That was a good, good coaching moment. Good job, Cade. But I also have a very serious question that doesn't sound very serious, but we've already referenced caffeine. Caitlin called it a drug in the first one minute of the podcast or of the topic. Cade was just explaining how like he literally just said the caffeine got the better of him and that if you're going to take it, you need to be able to control it. So I'm going to ask the maybe dumb sounding, but serious question of, can you overdose on caffeine? Like, is there, mm-hmm. is too much? Yeah. That was, gonna... that was actually a topic that I was going to cover. Would you have to say Caitlin? No, I was just going to say it's probably an absurd amount, but it's possible. Uh, well, I think that there the are true... The true deathly dose is very high. I think it's something like um, six grams, so 6,000 milligrams. Um, I I don't know. That's probably for a 70-kilogram person or something. I I don't know exactly. But it's it's something very high that you wouldn't really encounter. But it's it's not – you could take that much. There, there, there are people who have put themselves in the hospital because they've taken too much caffeine. It's possible. It's, it's an insane amount of caffeine, but it is possible. Um, so I guess, I guess the question that stems from that is there, is there a point at which you've had too much caffeine to affect your performance? And Cade was getting into this a little bit. Um, depends on your body weight. Uh, I, I've seen, I've seen different numbers depending on the study and it, it also kind of depends, like it depends on, on, you know, what different, um, amounts the study uses. Uh, but I, I think that the general, like, um, like I've, I've seen a general recommendation in the literature. I think of like roughly now this depends on your body weight, but like 200 milligrams of caffeine is probably if you, if you take in more than that, it's not, it's not necessarily going to be beneficial. It won't necessarily be detrimental either, but it's not like you have to take in like crazy amounts of caffeine for it to be effective. Like 200 milligrams is, is not, is not that much. Um, My my concern would be uh, if Cade had a race the next day. So maybe we look at like stage racing and going back to quality of sleep. Like you can't argue with the, the fact that improved quality of sleep, like 
improves your cognitive and physical performance the following day. Sure. So maybe the happy medium is not using caffeine during racing for stage races and just sticking with your one cup in the morning. So Caitlin, actually I I did race the next day. It was, there were two days of racing. Saturday was kind of the more important one because it was part of the American Crit Cup, but there was also a Sunday race in Indy. Um, Saturday's race was a night race. So we started at, well, it wasn't, it was an evening, evening race. We started at 7.20 and then our Sunday start was uh, 3.45, I think. Um, I was definitely still pretty awake after the race. I don't think I made it to bed until, like, went to sleep until 2 a.m. Um, and then I think I got up around 10 Um on Sunday. And then I did another, I actually had like 400 milligrams of caffeine on Sunday because I had a morning cough. I don't know how much the coffee was, but I (laughs) I was guessing it was around 150 to 200 milligrams of caffeine. And then I had a Red Bull before the race. And then I had another caffeine gel and another (laughs) bottle of 35 milligrams um, during the race. And you need to do another five day reset now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so that's like a question that I always ask is like, so there's this benefit of caffeine in racing, but how much of the the negative of bad sleep plays a fu- like? Because yeah, like a lot of times these night races, like Gateway starts with a night race, and then the next three days we race. So like, and every day we race at like six p.m. So if you're caffeinating all the way from the, the, you know, a couple hours before the race to the end of the race, you're, 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 you're intaking caffeine till basically like 7 PM every day. And that's going to have an effect on your sleep. So like, does the, basically does the performance enhancement of the caffeine outweigh the performance negative of, of not getting as good sleep? I like, Somebody at like one of the first crit races this year, I asked him that question like on the start line and he basically told me like, he basically said, if you're not racing with caffeine, you're racing at a disadvantage. So since then I'm like, oh man, I need to. Drew, you want to, you want to hear the answer? (laughs) All right. So first of all, I, I think that 350 to 400 milligrams is probably more than you need. Uh, I think that 200 milligrams is probably fine and much, much more than that is probably not going to get you a whole lot of extra benefit. It's a, it's like a curve that where, you know, it goes up and then it flattens, right? The more, the more you take in, it's not like, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, you take a hundred milligrams, 200 milligrams is not twice as good. And 400 milligrams is not four times as good. It's it, there's a, Mm. uh there there's a fall off it's like a diminishing returns yeah diminishing return that's exactly the phrase that i was looking for yes (laughs) so um if let's let's say you're doing a stage race and the sleep that you're getting is very important for recovering between the stages now i would probably go towards the lower end uh, and do 200 milligrams of caffeine, or you don't necessarily have to do caffeine at all. What they've found is that 
um, a lot of these supplements that improve performance, caffeine included, are not additive. Mm. So what do I mean by that? So let's say that let's say that just I, I'm just throwing out random numbers. These are not necessarily the correct figures, but let's say that caffeine gives you a two percent boost in performance, and let's say that beet juice gives you a two percent boost in performance. If you take both of those together, you don't get a 4% boost in performance. And in fact, you don't even get any extra boost in performance. You just get 2%, which is the same as if you had just taken beet juice or just taken caffeine alone. They've done, they've done studies on that. And it's not just caffeine and beet juice together. They've also combined caffeine with other supplements to see if there's an additive effect. It seems like caffeine, most supplements are not additive. There are a few supplements that are additive, but it seems like caffeine in particular is not an additive supplement where like if, if, if one supplement is giving you something and you take caffeine with it, you're not getting extra. So you could choose a different supplement that's not going to affect your sleep instead of caffeine like beet juice, for example. Um, they've even shown that caffeine seems to have less of an impact on your performance when taken with carbohydrates. What I, when mm. I, and what I mean by that is not that, that carbohydrates hinder the effect of the caffeine. What I mean is that carbohydrates themselves are a performance enhancer. And, it, and it's almost as if there's, om, there's only so much you can enhance your performance right? And taking all these supplements that supposedly enhance your performance on top of each other, there's a ceiling, like, and it's not hard to hit that ceiling with like, just taking caffeine, you know, I have a, ref a refute. So in, in college, my marketing teacher told me that all of the money that you spend on marketing, or advertisements, only 50% of those advertisements are actually effective the bummer is that we don't know what 50 percent, and so you always still have to you always are going to still be spending 100 percent for 50 percent to be effective so mm -hmm. how do we know like w what supplements are actually giving us the gain or not is what i was trying to say mm. yeah super interesting so that makes me ask Cade why you chose to pound gels and drink mix that had caffeine in it instead of just doing like coffee maybe it was the carbs why you felt so great it, yeah it totally could have been um it was but carb i have another go ahead kate it, i have it was more just because that's what i had on hand and i i mean i was looking at taking in the carbs too right there was carbs in the drink mix there were carbs in the uh in the gels so that was definitely part of the plan too. Like I, I would have had to find another source for those carbs had I not done it the way that I did. Well, I have another like devil's advocate to play there. Cause we've already mentioned that caffeine is a, a psycho, whatever drug it, 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 its effect is not on your muscles. Its effect is on your brain. Whereas carbs and beet juice are, those have effects on your body, not your brain. So, like, if I can take supplements that improve my body's performance, but then take caffeine that kind of, like, unlock this Super Saiyan Dizzle or Super Saiyan Cade, mm -hmm. then that seems like a good idea. So, Drew, I see what you're saying, 
And I would argue that, uh, what was the first analogy? Marketing. I would ag- argue that marketing and your body are not the same thing at all. Like they're completely <laughs> and utterly different in every single way. But also, they, so they've. <laughs> wow. They've, Come on. <laughs> but the, you don't but have also, to embarrass me. No, just kidding. <laughs> but also, by they, the way, everybody, like, Dillman's an idiot. <laughs> But like they've done the research on this, right? Like, for example, yeah. like just beet juice. Like they had there's a study on beet juice and caffeine, and they sh- they show that beet juice and caffeine are not additive. Even if they're even if the way that they improve performance physiologically is completely different, they are not additive. Um, so, I, I guess another uh, another thing to keep in mind here is that if you are if you are a slow caffeine metabolizer. Um, or you're doing a stage race where you are prioritizing sleep or for whatever reason you don't like taking caffeine, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you can take another supplement and uh, you're probably going to get all the effect of supplementation that you're going to get anyway. What do you do? I take caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so mean, anticlimactic. I, I mean, beet juice doesn't taste very good. Yes, yeah, that, now a, we're getting down opi- to the practical. That's an opinion, yeah. right? Like some people do right. like to taste the beet juice. I don't know. I feel like it. It's just harder to take. Caffeine's super easy to take. So Dylan's mm. not a coffee drinker, but he is a caffeine user. Yeah, All for right. sure. Um, another thing about Drew's point that caffeine doesn't affect. The body. I don't think that's exactly accurate. And maybe mm. Caitlin or Dylan or Adam, you have um, something to add here. But I believe that caffeine is a vasodilator, mm. which means it opens up your um, your blood, blood highways. Yeah, Drew more, just continues so to deliver more oxygen. <laughs> continues to be an idiot <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> But we okay, so it does have <laughs> physiological advantages, but it also what the point I was making was it has an effect on your perceived exertion, which then unlocks sure. maybe an extra level of performance, which sure, is a big that's a huge if if you're worried about it, there there's probably not a there it doesn't seem like there's a detrimental effect to taking both beet juice and caffeine at the same time there's probably just not an additive effect so if you really want to you know cross all your t's and dot all your i's then take them both it's probably going to be fine yeah that's what i do I'll, I'll i'll do beet juice if i remember a couple hours before the race and then caffeine throughout the day cool so what i'm like always trying to figure out is like do i race with caffeine in my bottles and it's like a maybe answer you know like if i maybe i stop before the race so that i get better sleep but if i did take caffeine in my bottles during the race you know i was always wondering like does if i'm drinking caffeine during the race is my body even able to use that caffeine in a one-hour crit and the answer is yes it will it will metabolize the caffeine fast enough to actually use it and so I mean, I guess you could take it during during a race because I have drink mix that has caffeine yeah. in it. If you're so, it's like if you're doing a crit, 
which is a short race to begin with, I would probably have the caffeine on the starting line or before the race just to make sure that it's in your system by the time you're racing. Right. I read that the peak effects of the caffeine happen 30 minutes to 60 minutes following. Mm, so it's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, so if, you have, if you have a caffeinated gel with 15 minutes to go, it's kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. So I need to take my no-dos right on the start line, like all the other cycle cross <laughs> stars. If if you're doing a say a ninety minute crit, um, would it then make sense to take a gel at forty five minutes in or thirty minutes in? So then for the last couple of laps, you're seeing that peak benefit. Sounds like it. Sure. What I really want to know is what should your caffeine strategy be if you're doing like 24 hours at Old Pueblo? Like, when do you start? How much is too much? I can tell you what mine was, but uh, the race didn't go that well for me. So it it was probably unrelated to my caffeine strategy, but. (laughs) Don't worry, though. Dylan has a a strategy to take down Keegan Swenson's record oh, next boy, year. No, you can't say that on the podcast. It's, <laughs> that's top secret slash it probably won't happen slash I probably won't even do the race. So, <laughs> um, But now you have to because we made it. <laughs> All right. So my, my caffeine strategy when I did do 24 hours of Old Pueblo. So for those of you who don't know, 24 hours of Old Pueblo, 24-hour mountain bike race starts at noon on Saturday ends at noon on Sunday. So you get six hours of daylight, 12 hours of nighttime, and then six hours, six more hours of daylight to finish up. I, I didn't start taking caffeine until the sun went down and it was dark. Um, because I figured that when it was dark, my body would feel like it needed sleep, Mm. but of course I need to keep riding. So that was kind of my strategy. Uh, I still felt super tired, when I got 12 hours in, uh, I think most of that was nutritional. Like I bonked. And so that was probably the, that was probably the bigger factor as opposed to my caffeine intake. But whoa, you bonk, dude, I have, I have bonked so many times. Oh my, (laughs) everybody. Wow. Listen up. Dylan Johnson bonks. He is human. Wow. (laughs) Dude, the amount of times that I've bonked in my cycling career is Probably in the hundreds. I know. I'm just messing with you. We've all, <laughs> we've all bonked. Cool. Well, I, I don't have any more caffeine questions. You guys answered them all. Thanks so much. I, I already bought four of these monster hydros, um, for each day of, for each day of gateway though. Menards, you know, like with that 11% rebate, they get me on these like stupid, I'm like, man, I'll save 11%. If I buy four of them, that's more money saved. Uh, 160 milligrams per per bottle. So I used to only drink a half a bottle, but you guys just convinced me to drink the whole thing before the race starts. So it's going to happen. I'm going to be zipping along. I'll probably attack off the start line just like Cade. I'm pumped. I just up the LD50 of caffeine, so the leaf... The median lethal dose, which is about 300 milligrams per kilogram of body mass, which would be 21 grams for me. It's quite a lot of grams. I mean, that is the median dose. So 50% of people are going to meet their death before before that amount. Sure. Uh, But also 50% of people could outlast that amount. So 
it's good to know funny, that though. like caffeine is kind of like a drug. Like there's a warning on the bottle that says like not recommended for children, people sensitive to caffeine and pregnant people. Or pregnant yeah. People. Although it's, you know, accepted in sport, it's banned in, in NICA though. Like, mm. yeah. And that's, that's why goo came out with the caffeine free gels. Wow. And also, uh, WADA, I think has changed the rules on this, or I don't know if they've changed the rules to be more lenient or less lenient, but a certain amount of caffeine, uh, at a certain time was against, against the water rules. Don't quote me on this. I just, I don't I don't know the water rules inside and out, but yeah, and no, I, I know there was a limit, but it was pretty high. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I want to say it was like I would need to take three grams, three thousand milligrams to to reach the water limit. It was something pretty. Maybe it wasn't that high, but it was pretty. High. It's like well past the point at which it's effective as well. Yeah, I the the real question is like whoever's. Whoever is Monster's marketing team, like Red Dog, that's like the, and they misspelled dog. Like, that's the, that's <laughs> the real question. That's no, the real they, question. They like marketing team knows exactly what they're doing. That, that I know. <laughs> I'm like, dang, this is Dude. legit. Um, hey, so, so this topic did come, come up because we had a listener question. So mm. I just want to read it real quick and see if there's any, in, any more input that we have for this athlete. So, um, he asked, how much caffeine do you dose for a high-intensity effort like cyclocross or crit racing, which we kind of touched on that already. And then mm-hmm. the next part of his question is, have you ever thought about doing a caffeine ladder for longer endurance races, and what would that look like? So I think what he's referring to is like starting mm-hmm. with a lower dose and then increasing your dose throughout the race as you're getting more fatigued. Sure. It looks like no sleep that night. <laughs> Uh, what, so what I, I would do 200 milligrams for, for, uh, you know, cross race or crit or something. Um, if you want to, if you want to really maximize, maybe you could do a little bit more than that, but I I don't see the need to go up to like 350 to 400 milligrams like Kate did. Um, as far as caffeine ladder, it's like kind of what I just talked or what I talked about in the podcast about, you know, in long ultra endurance races, you don't necessarily need caffeine for the start. In fact, if anything, you need a, like, you need something to tell you to go easier. Uh, like you don't need something that's like hindering you obviously, but you need some sort of reminder to be like, Hey, go easier than you're going right now. Uh, I suggest looking at what your heart rate is and getting familiar with what your, your average heart rate should be over the course of like a, you know, seven hour race or whatever you're doing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that doing a caffeine ladder makes sense. Personally, I just kind of, I, I take the caffeine, like I, I do j- caffeine gels and it'll be like, uh, you know, 40 milligram gel every, you know, hour to two hours. And I make sure that the amount of 40 milligram gels that I have throughout the race is, now, if it's a seven hour race, I'll do more than 200 milligrams, right? Because the, the caffeine that I took at the beginning of the race is wearing off by the end of the race. But obviously when I start the race and I haven't even had a gel yet, I ha- I don't have any caffeine in my system. But if it was a shorter race, I would make sure I had caffeine in my system just starting the race out. So yeah, I mean, a caffeine ladder makes sense. I I would venture to guess that if you put it to the test, it would 
have a very marginal benefit or almost no benefit as opposed to just spacing it out evenly throughout the whole race. I think something that's important to think about is the concentration of caffeine that's in your system, because that's what we're really looking at. Like we're saying how much you're taking, but what that's, once it enters your body, it's dissolving into your system. And then you have some concentration that's in your system. And that concentration is dissipating at it's, it's reducing itself in half every five to six hours, right? That's what the half life means. Uh, so after it, it probably takes 30 minutes to metabolize about. Um, and then after that, it's, uh, you're going to have half of that much in your system after five to six hours. So a lot of races, they're only one hour. There's not a lot of reduction in the caffeine. So you're going to see a pretty consistent effect, um, whether you're taking it all on the start line or you take some of it partway through because your concentration in your body is going to be relatively the same. But if we're looking at an ultra endurance kind of event where you're riding for 10 hours, then you're reaching the quarter life in 10 hours if you took all of your caffeine on the start line. And so you want to space it out somewhat so that um, you still have a high enough concentration near the end of the race where you're the most tired. You're probably going to see the most benefits to being alert and most benefits to having the caffeine in your system when the, when the race gets really hard. Um, and so maybe taking caffeine in the last three, uh, maybe a couple gels in the last four hours, maybe one at four hours, one at three hours, one at two hours. If they're, I don't know, uh, 30 milligram gels, or if they're a little bit higher, maybe you're taking them more spread out. Right. So then you're only consuming that 200 milligrams, or maybe I would venture that maybe you could take a little bit more than 200 milligrams throughout your whole day to keep your concentration at about what it would be if you took 200 milligrams at the start of a criterium that's only an hour because to maintain that concentration throughout the whole day of an ultra endurance race, you're going to end up taking more caffeine. Um, So it depends a little bit on your strategy. I would, I I think Dylan's point that you probably only really need it in the latter half of the race is important. So maybe you're taking 250 milligrams starting five hours out from the finish and spread out somewhat evenly so then you're taking your last caffeine an hour before the finish. So you see maximal effects in the finish. Yeah. I've got the idiom of the day. All right, go for it. Wake up and smell the coffee. Is that an Boom. idiom or is that just uh That's an idiom. It means to become aware of the realities of a situation, however unpleasant. Wake up and smell the coffee, y'all. That was a mic drop, dog. Boom. <laughs> nice. All right, sweet. Well, this is fun. Kate, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, uh, we'll see you guys soon. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Let's go!